maybe you don't know this, but I went to college for two years in Oklahoma City. One time I was about to go on a spring break trip and my uncle said, why don't you come down to Florida and visit us? So my three roommates and myself, we climbed in the car at like nine o'clock at night. We drove all through the night. It's a long drive from Oklahoma City down to Orlando, Florida. I remember when we were pulling north of just uh, New Orleans, there was a long bridge. It wasn't Pontchartrain, but it was still a long bridge. And then I saw it, the berries and cherries in my rear view lights, the window. Cops pulled us over. Guy was nice enough, but he still gave us a ticket. As soon as we pulled into my uncle's house in Florida, uh, we tried to go out for pizza and our car wouldn't start. It broke down. So my buddy had his car towed and the next day we went to a rental place and we rented a car. And now we were out a big expense. We were trying to figure out a way to, to afford paying for his car being fixed. And how do you also afford renting a car? We're in college. Well, later on, we were up in Daytona Beach and we're driving back down to Cocoa Beach where my other family lives. We're going about 85 miles an hour on the interstate and we got rear-ended. Now, being rear-ended is never fun. But do you know how weird it is to be rear-ended when you're already going 85 miles an hour? That's a weird thing. It seemed like one thing after another kept happening on this road trip. It leaves me wondering, why do people talk about loving the road so much? Road trips. Tomorrow I'm supposed to drive 10 hours to Illinois and I can't tell you how much I don't want to do the drive. I can't, I want to get there but I don't want to go on the road. It's exhausting. It's boring. It's tough. But the road has captured the popular imagination of our culture. I'm not 100% certain why, but I think Jack Kerouac had a part in it. He wrote that book called On the Road, where he hopped trains, and he went all around the country, and he wrote a book about it. Why did he go on the road? This leader of the beatnik generation, why did he go on the road? What was he looking for? If you haven't read the book, I did. I had to do it in high school. A lot of us did. I think he was looking for himself. I think Jack Kerouac went out on the road not just to discover America and the beauty of America and the oddity of America. Because there are oddities in our culture. World's largest frying pan. No, he went to find himself. He wanted to know who he was. He wanted to see the metal that he was made of. He wanted to go out and explore himself in all of its authenticity. Jack Kerouac helped usher in what Charles Taylor, the Canadian Catholic philosopher, he calls the age of authenticity. Taylor wrote this book called The Secular Age. It's about this thick, and he's correct. He makes an argument that says the, the whole secular era has begun, but it doesn't mean what we thought it was going to mean 100 years ago when Max Weber wrote about it, the sociologist. There we thought that the secular age would come in, and it meant the decline of all religion and all belief. Taylor said that didn't happen. What happened is the proliferation of ideas the marketplace of what's important and valuable is 
widespread. There are more choices now. You can find the sacred in CrossFit and TED Talks. Do a little praying on your own. People hodgepodge their spiritual life, and that is the secular era. That is the age of secularization. And one thing we know is people have left institutional religious life. Taylor also rightly calls this entire age the age of authenticity, where you have to be true to you. You do you, man. Be true to yourself. Which, by the way, not to make you feel bad, but this is going to make ministry harder. You see, the generations after the millennials are the most identified and labeled generations that have ever lived on the face of the earth. So how do you help someone find their identity in Christ when they have a thousand different markers to identify who they are? I'm scaring you. I'm being a prophet right now. That's true. It's going to get more challenging. But Kerouac went on the road and wrote a book about it, kind of defined some of the zeitgeist. You ever hear that word? Spirit of the age. That's what it means. The age where we have to be me. I got to go find myself. I got to go out into the world and discover who I'm supposed to be, man. That's why he went. Then we come to church today. And we hear that great reading. And you can hear Jesus say, Oh, contraire, mon frere. Is that what it's all about? Finding out who you are. Being authentic and finding out exactly who you define yourself to be? Do you go out on the road to gain yourself? See, a religious leader comes up to Jesus and he asks a big question. You've heard it before. This is one of those famous stories called the, the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a story about a guy who's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about 90 miles, and it's a very dangerous road. It tells us that burglars jump on him and leave him half dead. By the way, my favorite phrase in the story, he was left half dead. What does it mean to be half dead? Can't be too good. There's all kinds of terrifying places on this route. Lots of places for brigands to hide. And he's there half dead says a priest walks by. I don't know what the priest was doing. I guess he was busy. Maybe he had to go lead church somewhere. Maybe he was just afraid of getting his hands dirty. There's all kinds of purification laws, but he passes by on the other side. Sometimes even ministers can't be burdened to help people because we're too busy. Then a Levite goes by. And Levites are supposed to know the law. They're supposed to know the ways of God. They know the, they know the Bible. He goes by on the other side too. And then Jesus says there's a Samaritan. He calls him a good Samaritan. Now, if you're going to tell a story to ancient Jewish people and you want there to be a hero, you don't use Samaritans. You all know that, I'm sure. They were kind of somewhat Jewish in their background. There had some intermarrying with different cultures and different tribes, and they believed in a lot of Jewish law, but they didn't believe in the whole book called the Old Testament, or let me just suggest we call it the First Testament. They're not your heroes. 
lot of racial stuff going on there between ancient Hebrew people and ancient Samaritan people. And he comes by. He bends down and he picks him up. He takes the half-dead man, pours oil and wine on him, which might sound kind of strange, but these are ancient medicinal tools. Bandages him up, puts him on his own vehicle, his own donkey, and takes him to an inn. Pays an innkeeper, says, whatever cost you incur, I'll come back and I will pay you back. I said a couple, a sermon a couple weeks ago that the word hospital means the inn of God. He takes him to an inn. Makes sure that he gets cared for. And then Jesus says, who's the Who's the neighbor here? And everyone knows the story's all set and primed and ready to just reveal the truth. It's obviously the Samaritan, no matter how much the listeners didn't want to say it or admit it out loud. You see, the Samaritan went on the road not to find himself, but to give himself away. That is Christianity. You go out in the world and give yourself away. Now, if that doesn't sell well, guess what? It's not a good sales pitch. But that is the shape of our faith. Not going out in the world on the road to find ourselves and to be authentic, but to authentically give yourself away. And there, his life. My great-grandfather was a terrible man. He was mean to everybody. And uh, one time we went down to Florida to visit all my Florida family. We always got the trip out of the way. We always got to visit with my great-grandparents out of the way. Do you ever have family like that? You got to see them first so that you don't have to see them anymore. He's the kind of guy that when you would walk in the room, he hadn't seen you in a couple years. He'd say, boy, gee, you're getting fat. He's not a nice guy, I'm telling you. Grumpy is all get out. I'll never forget that last time I saw him. I was about 14, 13, 14 years old. And my mom said, this would be great. Let's get a family photo of the generations. You know, that's a novel notion, right? And he didn't want to. We saw that photo where he's sitting there grumpy like this. He's a mean old cuss. Got that out of the way. And then we went and hung out with my dad's brothers who were kind of like, uh, they're, they're younger. They're kind of like my older brothers. And so they were always really cool to me. So we went, we went surfing and uh, did all that stuff on New Year's Day. That's right. I said I was surfing. We decided the guys were going to go play golf later and the ladies, they were going to go shopping. So we drove to my grandmother's house and we walked in the house. There was some food left out on the table and my uncle goes, something's wrong. And just like that, as he said that out loud, the phone rings, picks up the phone. It's his mom. It's my grandmother. And she's down at my great-grandfather's house. He had died New Year's Day. He was doing a very Southern thing. I didn't know it was Southern. I didn't know it was a thing to do. He was making black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. And he went and sat down, and he fell asleep, and he died. So now we all drive down to the house, and no one really knows how to act because he was such a mean cuss that no one really cared much for him. 
I mean, I think there was weird feelings for sure. We were trying to figure out how to feel. You ever try to figure out how to feel? All the kids stayed in the front room and he sat there uh, dead like this. And my mom thought better of it. She said, let's put a sheet on him or something. Let's cover him up. My great-grandmother started getting all weird. She started giving things away right away. Like, and this will tell you what she thinks of my father. She'd give out watches to my, my uncles and give out you know, all these nice stuff. And then she came to my dad with his BVDs, tidy whities Here, Jeff, you want your grandfather's underwears? Awkward moment. It was an awkward moment. I walked through to go to the bathroom. And my great-grandmother says, Jared, have you been a good boy? Have you eaten your black-eyed peas? Turns out she made everyone eat these black-eyed peas. And I was just as scared to eat black-eyed peas because they are black-eyed peas as I was to eat them in front of a dead person. You see, I'd never had black-eyed peas, and they scared me to death. My mom looks at me, and she says, one spoonful. Okay. She takes a spoonful of these black eyed peas and slowly comes to my face. She puts them in my mouth, and as soon as I gulp them down, his head falls out from under the sheet like this. I've been threatening to write a story called Why I Hate Black Eyed Peas. That's about the best I can tell you about my grandfather. Because he just wasn't kind. Now, after the funeral, we hopped in the car and we went to the other side of Florida to visit my mom's family. And there we were on the thing called, that used to call it the Bee Line. Now it's called the Beach Line. It's a toll road. And I'll never forget my dad said, uh, my accelerator hit the floor. The accelerator cable broke and your car dies. And as soon as, I'm, this is not a joke, this is all, this is all true. As soon as we come to a, a halt, the radio, over the radio we hear about a family who was murdered on the beeline last week. And that's where we are. So we get out of the car, and now there's lanes going both directions. We, we walk in the center, and all this busy traffic, we walk down the green space, down the way, and a man in a Volvo pulls over. He was from Australia. Actually, I think he might be from heaven, because I think he might have been an angel. He invites us into the car, and of course, that's kind of terrifying. And, you know, I'm thinking, what am I going to do if this guy's a bad actor? My dad's thinking the same thing. He drives us down to the toll booth, and he spent four hours with us. He got on the phone, and he called the rental car company with us, because, you see, they weren't going to help us. And we were stranded. And he took us all the way back. 45 minutes away. He's coming home from work. He took us all the way back. At the end of the day, I'm telling you this story because that four hours of someone giving themselves away, it made its impact. My grandfather, uh, he was good at business. He built a business and a company. But he didn't give himself away. And so we don't tell stories about him except for when he died making black eyed peas. This other man gave himself away. We go out on the road 
The world wants us to go find ourselves. And I say you cannot find yourself unless you lose it. 